It's Daily Thunder, booming out the truth of Jesus Christ live every weekday morning from the Ellerslie campus in Windsor, Colorado. To learn more, visit ellerslie.com. I've never really been attracted to the sweater vest. It's just not my style. But that said, I love what it symbolizes in today's message. Hey, this is Eric. Before we dive into today's Daily Thunder message, I wanted to mention that we have added two additional week-long intensive trainings into our Ellerslie calendar in the late summer and late fall timeframes. If you're ready to escape the quarantine and get invigorated with some good old-fashioned biblical discipleship, please prayerfully consider joining us. Go to ellerslie.com to learn more. Now let's join Winston Churchill on January 27th of 1942 as he faces one of the greatest personal trials of his public life. So today's message, sort of a fun name, uh, at least from my vantage point, it means something to me. I don't know if it'll mean anything to you, but it's the sweater vest. And what's funny is a lot of us make funny, make funny, make fun of the sweater vest. It's, you know, not someone who's usually as style conscious who might be wearing the, the sweater vest. And so I'm not necessarily promoting that you wear a physical sweater vest uh, as I progress through this message, but this is going to tie in with uh, the flow of history in World War II. We are at the end of January in 1942, and yeah, I know, surprise, surprise, we have another crisis. But this one is an unusual one because we have world crisis. We have Hitler and the Nazi regime, which is growing large it is uh, boasting its prowess. It is showing forth such great strength. It is tackling uh, Russia with great venom and animosity. It has already uh, wreaked havoc on many nations in Europe, so that if you were to look at the European map, it looks like it's all ruled by the Nazis at this time. The Italians have uh, submitted to this. They have participated in the Nazi nonsense. And now we have, as of December 7th, 1941, we have the bombing of Pearl Harbor. Now we have the Japanese to deal with. And so we have a lot of noise. And the Pacific Theater is of a special difficulty and tension for Winston Churchill. And the reason for that is, as of late January, they actually have no answer for it. So they're in a rather dire uh, situation. Australia is hanging in the balance. They're concerned that the Japanese are going to invade them, and there's no protection over there. And so it's a dire situation that many of us in light of world history, we look at the summary of World War II and we forget the moments. We forget the, the ups and downs. And this is one of those down moments, which is a very trying thing. Now that America has entered the war, I'd say for the most part, the Allies know that they're going to win eventually. Once America enters, it's a huge relief, but it creates almost a different tension. Many of us go through these same tensions in our life, and so the sweater vest is sort of something I want us all to freshly encounter today. And many of us who are seasoned Christians, we understand the need for the grace of God in the tense trying moments. But this is a good reminder message in in that whole uh, landscape of the ups and downs of the Christian life. Because one of the things about the life with Christ is that we are fixed to someone who does not change and in whom there is no shadow of turning. We are the ones that seem to go up and down because we ride our circumstances like a roller coaster instead of holding on to Christ who stabilizes us in the midst of it. The Apostle Peter uh, is going to say in 1 Peter 4.12, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal among you, which comes upon you for your testing, as though some strange thing were happening to you. Now, I actually purposely chose 
the NASB translation on this because in the New King James, which I'm typically going to quote in the Daily Thunders, it's going to say, do not consider it strange. And then it's going to say as though some strange thing were happening. In my, in my grammatical side, I, always, I don't like it when you use the same word twice, but in a different uh, way. And so I, I like the word surprise uh, because that's the way it is for many of us. It's a surprise. I thought, as a Christian, I thought my life was supposed to go easy. And what the scriptures are going to lay out for us is the very clear idea that, no, no, there will be difficulties, but don't be surprised by these. These are actually for your benefit. When you go into a weight room, don't be surprised that your lactic acid is going to begin to pump to your muscles and there'll be some pain with it. That just goes with the territory of getting in shape and getting stronger. You do know that Christianity is making you stronger. You do know that when the Holy Spirit moves inside of you, that he is exercising your soul unto greater strength. And so why are you considering it strange, my brother, when you enter into a weight room and it's a little difficult for you and you leave a little sore? That's normal. It's normal in Christianity too, but many of us are surprised by this. And it's funny because you came to the place where it's like, okay, I'm no longer surprised. God, I, I recognize this comes with the territory. And then you get a reprieve and you're in a peaceful season. And then whoa, you got another trial again, and you're surprised. It's, it's, it's just funny how we do this, which is why the sweater vest message is an, is an important additive to our life, is just to remember uh, that we do go through seasons of difficulty. So the sweater vest. In American history and sort of the, the funny subculture we have in politics, there are two different outfits that a president can wear. The suit and tie, you know, of course, the dark blue suits, red tie, you know, we're American with the white shirt underneath. And what that is showing is power. It is showing authority. It's showing that he knows his position. But then there's another technique that can be whipped out of the presidential closet. And that is in a time when people are fearful and they are needing a sense of comfort. They need to know that their president is willing to uh, pick up uh, the, the task in the hardest moment, even when he's trying to relax, that he is there for them. And that's the sweater vest. And when the president dons the sweater vest, still usually has the tie on, right? Uh, but when he dons the sweater vest, it is a statement to calm the people. Isn't that funny? So that's what the sweater vest is going to symbolize. It's the calm. And in a sense, all of us need to learn how to wear both. There's a time when we need to pick up that suit and tie and we need to shout at the enemy faction, the spiritual faction, and let them know who's boss. But then there's another time when we need to be strong for others around us, that we need to have a calm even for our own soul because we are the ones in charge. When you're the leader, it is a very difficult thing to not shudder when you know that you're trying to help everyone else not shudder. And so, guys, it's great to see you. The sweater vest, we're going to call it wearing the calm. Wouldn't that be nice for some of you? Now, I don't know what season you're in, but there are seasons where the waves are, uh, are white-capped in our soul, and we oftentimes feel like though we know the truth, we're being bullied around by the enemy. You ever had that, that feeling where it's just like you're, you're reaching out for the truths that you know, and you're trying to go back to your moorings, but your foundation seems like being washed away, like it, it doesn't have the stability in this time. That's where the sweater vest comes in. So January 27th, 1942, we have 
to me, it is a travesty, but I really relate to it in a strange sense. It is hard being a leader. And if any, there's varying degrees of being a leader. Like I, I don't think any of us want to switch places with Donald Trump right now. I mean, that's just, that's, that's a really hard, some people say, well, he's, he's the one making it hard for himself. I don't care which president you are. If you're Barack Obama, it's a hard job. Okay. I mean, president Abraham Lincoln said that uh, the presidency of the United States was the closest thing to hell on earth. So that gives you a little insight. And most of us look back, we're like, oh, I really love uh, President Lincoln. You know, he did such a great job. He should be proud. Yeah, he was shot. Okay, and he he lived in in one of the most tumultuous times in American history. And so you don't want his job, though you want his legend, right? And that's the way it goes for every leader. You really don't want their job, but you want the impact. You see, all of us want to put a dent into this world, but do we understand what it comes with? That's why we need the sweater vests. You see, what we are called to is greater than us. What we are called to will crush us. And you'll find that out at every level. The moment you rise an incremental level in your leadership, you feel weight on your shoulder. And you actually immediately begin to go, I'm not sure I'm ready for this. (laughs) But God is assigning you an incremental weight. Why? So that you can grow up underneath it. And suddenly that weight, as you look back in the past, as you look back, you know, as you go into the future, you look back, you're like, that wasn't that heavy of a weight. Yeah, but at the time it was. Because your physiological, you know, structure spiritually was not yet fit for where you're at today, but it was fit for that. You're not going to be tried beyond what you're ready for. And that's one of the scriptural principles that we rest in as believers. But every time we get a new weight on our shoulders, we're convinced it's too heavy for us. (laughs) And yet we need to come to God and have him freshly remind us, no, no, I've given you everything you need to carry that weight. That weight is not too heavy for you. So January 27th, 1942, I haven't even told you what's happening, but it is, it's disturbing to me because I'm, I I think it's a dead giveaway in this World War II series. I, I try and hold my cards in a little to not show what I have, uh, but I'm a Winston Churchill fan, okay? And I know a lot of people are against Winston Churchill for whatever reason, okay? I mean, I, I am very impressed with him. And, it, and I've had to say this multiple times. It's not that I want to look like him, nor that I want to smoke a cigar or drink brandy every night. In other words, it's not that I want to model his lifestyle. I, there's something about his stalwart ability to walk through some of the most difficult things with a smirk. Uh, is very interesting to me as a leader. And of course, my middle name is Winston. Have I mentioned that throughout this, uh, this series? I, I mention it almost every time, just in case some of you haven't. Uh, I, and I, it makes me feel really good because my name on the, the bumpers, Eric Ludi, sounds very similar to a German uh, general uh, who is Eric Ludendorff. And so I have to sort of offset that potential who is a sponsor behind Hitler. So <laughs> yeah, that's why I'm emphasizing Winston as my middle name. So I sort of come out neutral probably somewhere in there. But Great Britain is, because they, the Americans have entered in, they're starting to relax a little. And even though we have crisis in the Pacific, they have this notion that, okay, we're going to win this in the end. And so let's get this over with. So who do they begin to turn on but Winston Churchill? Because, hey, why do we have these problems still? Why are we still in this war? They're starting to feel comfortable. Again, you know how we get when, when you're in a time of crisis, you bond together with those around you. That's what was happening in Great Britain. Everyone's together. The moment it starts to lessen in intensity, because no longer are bombs dropping on Great Britain, which was happening just the year before. And so now it's like, well, relatively peaceful. I mean, the, the battle's over in the Pacific. I mean, that's a ways away. So let's turn on Winston Churchill and let's find all the flaws with what he's done so far. 
So we actually have a vote of confidence that is going to come before Parliament on Winston Churchill. Have you, have you been watching throughout this entire war series that I've been doing what Winston Churchill's been doing? I mean, Eric's been bragging it up, right? And they're literally going to turn on him right now in the midst of this difficulty. What this man has been carrying is so far beyond anything I can even relate to. And I, I, there have been times in my life where I didn't know that I could go another step because of the weights on my shoulders. I can't even imagine carrying what Winston Churchill has been carrying. I mean, it's like the world <laughs> is on his shoulders, and that's not an exaggeration. The vote of confidence. So here's Winston Churchill, but I'm going to give you, I give you a little uh, bold statement at the very top to give you some context. After 20 months of hellish battle, he's going to enter into his prime minister position, not because he chose it, he was chosen. He was asked to take the position, right? So it's not like he was saying, hey, I would like to take that. He was asked to do this. Would you take this, you know, 210 ton weight on, set it on your shoulders, uh, oh, Mr. Churchill? So after 20 months of hellish battle, nearly dying of a heart attack a week earlier and almost shot down on his return plane flight home from the United States, he arrives to this. <laughs> so this guy, you can just imagine, he's a little uh, in need of a sweater vest uh, right now. Everyone could see with intense relief that our nation, that our life as a nation and empire was no longer at stake. On the other hand, the fact that the sense of mortal danger was largely removed set every critic friendly or malevolent, free to point out the many errors which had been made. I was myself profoundly disturbed by the defeats which had already fallen upon us, and no one knew better than I that these were but the beginnings of the deluge. The demeanor of the Australian government, the well-informed and airily detached criticism of the newspapers, the shrewd and constant girding of 20 or 30 able members of parliament, the atmosphere of the lobbies gave me the sense of an embarrassed, unhappy, baffled public opinion, albeit superficial, swelling and mounting about me on every side. Now, I don't know if you guys have been in the public eye to the point where you can relate to that statement. And I can't say that I fully relate to some of the dimension of that, but I relate. And I know these feelings where you sense public opinion polls are turning against you and all you've been doing is trying to do your job. But you actually would be the first to agree if someone said, hey, are you happy with how everything's turned out? No. But they don't ask you, they just criticize you, right? And so you don't really get the opportunity to say, yeah, you know, I'm not happy with how this turned out either because it's just being heaped on you. It's a hard thing being a leader. And that's why I think as we go through this, I just want us to freshly remember our pastors as we go through this season. It is a very heavy weight to be a pastor right now in the church in the midst of the coronavirus because we all know that Zoom stinks, you know, as, as a replacement for Christianity. This isn't how it's supposed to work. But right now we're in a tension of trying to know how to navigate forward and be sensitive to the body. Be aggressive where we need to be aggressive. Be submissive where we need to be submissive. It's a hard time, okay? And I just want us to remember that, that these types of weights, it's very easy to criticize when you have your set opinion, you're like, here's what they should be doing, but it's not as easy to make the decisions and to be the one in the leadership position. Let's just remember that. So I, I found a way to uh, make the O in Job uh, look like a, you know, it's saying its name, O, because otherwise it looks like Job, right? And so Job's a hard word to write down. But this is the Job dilemma. So does that trigger something for you guys? So Job, like the book of Job, the guy that had it rough 
for a season. So the Job dilemma, when you're at your lowest, CNN shows up with a camera crew. It's not really the time you want CNN to show up, but CNN almost seems to wait for the the Christian leader (laughs) to have a debacle or a difficulty, and then they show interest in you. Like CNN is not interested in Eric Ludi, you know, for the most part. But if Eric Ludi was in some crisis, then you almost get the feeling that CNN is getting excited. And they would love to come in with their camera crew and say, so (laughs) could you answer these questions, Mr. Ludi? And so Job is in a similar situation here where he's actually a leader in his culture. He's an influencer in his culture, but now something dramatic is happening to his life. And for whatever reason, his friends come out of the woodwork with their opinions in such a moment. Job's friends. It's so easy to give criticism when someone is in a weakened, vulnerable state. We need to remember that, that Job's friends are not looked at kindly by God in the Bible. God is going to roundly rebuke Job's friends for their approach to this. You know, Job gets rebuked too. Job, you know what his issue was? He self-justified. And he said, look, I didn't do anything wrong. Instead of just saying God is faithful, God is good, God is true, he turned inward to defend himself. Isn't that just a fascinating thing? You see the dynamics for each of us. If we're the, the person that's getting attacked, we self-justify or we, we make it clear, hey, I'm fine. If someone around us is weak, we can easily pounce on them. You know that this is a very common thing all throughout history, this pattern that we see in Job. And it is something that I have walked through in so many different angles. I've been in the angles of being the Job friend, which is seeing something and wondering, God, uh, maybe I should not follow Job's friends, right? And then you also, I've been in the Job position many times. In fact, I've told God quite a few times, I think I've learned that lesson, haven't I, that I don't need to go through that cycle again? But at the same time, it's been very, very significant for me. And what if you walk through these things properly, you know what it teaches you? Grace. Because if you've been Job, it's easier to not be Job's friends. And if you've only been Job's friends, it's hard to learn. Uh, unless you have a good uh, God coming down in a whirlwind type of scene uh, that corrects you and rebuffs you. So Winston Churchill, uh, in the midst of this vote of confidence, imagine how humiliating that would be to have your nat- the parliament meet to have a vote of confidence on if you should stay or go. And all you've been doing is dying for your country? Uh, I mean, that that would be hard. I remember that wise French saying. And the other day I tried to give a wise French saying on the screen, and it didn't sound like French. So I'm just going to let you guys read that, and I'll give it the translation. For those of you that aren't live and are not seeing this uh, via uh, stream, I'm sorry that you cannot witness the French saying uh, in its French wonder. But uh, I, I have a few people that really like the language of French that don't like it when I butcher it. So listen to what he says. I remember the wise French saying, one can govern hearts only by keeping one's composure. If you're going to be a good leader, you need to wear the sweater vest. You need to be calm. You need to be held and controlled. So I'm going to give the translation from French to British to American. The French, you see it up there. That's that's the French words. Uh, Then the British, one can govern hearts only by keeping one's composure. And then if we were to translate that into our American uh, cowboy vernacular, it's when faced with public stir, go into your spiritual closet and grab that ever-faithful sweater vest. 
So Winston Churchill's going to continue. On the other hand, I was well aware of the strength of my position. You see, you can almost feel him putting on the sweater vest right now. You see, he is deliberately remembering to remain calm and composed. If, if you followed this entire series, you know that Winston Churchill feels very clearly that God has put him in his position and that God will carry him through it. Well, that's an important feature in your sweater vest because you have to know that where you're at is an assignment. And if it's an assignment, you can rest. It's like seeing Jesus go to sleep in a boat when there's a storm. It's like, this is the wrong time to sleep because we have to panic. No, if you know you're in a boat with the creator of the heavens and the earth, well, then you can go to sleep in the midst of that storm. And that's a sweater vest. So I could count on the goodwill of the people for the share I had had in their survival in 1940. I did not underrate the broad, deep tide of national fidelity that bore me forward. On January 27th, the debate began, and I laid our case before the House. Now, you see the dot, dot, dots on the screen. That means I'm going to skip the whole debate. I'm going to skip all that because that's actually not my focus, even though, yes, it's intriguing. That's not really what I'm focused on. But the debate then ran on for three days. Oh, the torment <laughs> this would be for a man to be, because it's humiliating to have anyone even bring up the fact that we need to have a vote of confidence of if we should keep Winston Churchill in this position. What does that indicate? What does that insinuate? That insinuates that he's misusing his position. I mean, that, that's not what a leader really wants to hear. If, if, a, if a pastor gets a vote of confidence from his congregation, that's not a compliment, guys. In other words, it sounds really nice. It's like, yes, we just want to give you a vote of confidence. Yes, go. That's not what a vote of confidence means. That means, do you as the congregation have confidence that he can lead? Well, if that's even coming up, that's not a positive statement, right? So this is a hard thing for a leader to walk through. Listen to the final result. The final result was 464 to 1. Actually, they couldn't get, I don't know how it works in Parliament, but Winston Churchill had to even at the end find someone who would vote against him, like just to finish the debate. And so one guy volunteered to actually be the one vote. Uh, I, I, that must be some kind of British etiquette thing. You know, it's like, why did we even go through this if no one was going to vote against? But literally by the end of three days, it was overwhelmingly in support of Winston Churchill. And so even though he had to go through it, that's, that's a pretty cool outcome. And even the guy that did it. So he, in his memoirs, publicly thanks this one guy like James Maxton or something like that for being willing to vote against him. <laughs> so the Holy One of Israel says this in Isaiah 30, 15. In quietness and confidence shall be your strength. Do you want me to translate that for you in American cowboy vernacular? In your sweater vest, you shall find your strength. You see, that's quietness and confidence. You know, as you enter into this rest and this assurance that God is in control, he's brought me here. And many of us are baited by the flesh dimensions of crisis. How will I look in this? What will I be perceived as in this process? When you are willing to live as a dead man and you're willing to give up your rights, your perspective, your reputation for Jesus Christ, it makes it a lot easier. And that's what a sweater vest is. I remember a pastor years and years ago, this is before Leslie and I were even married. Uh, so, I mean, we're going back in time because we just had our 25th wedding anniversary. But he said, uh, dead men don't get offended. If you go to a grave and dig up a dead guy uh, and you could yell at him all day long and you know, spit on him and curse him, slap him, he doesn't get offended. And he said, and we're supposed to be dead men. <laughs> and 
there's something to that that is important for us to remember. Yes, we very easily come back to life. We very easily can feel offense. But we need to freshly remember. When we go into our spiritual closet, we need to remember Christ died for us. And we entered into that death and we gave up our first life. Our life that could be offended. Our life that could consider our needs, our best, our reputation. We gave that up for a much better life. For a life in him that is captured in him for his glory, honor, and praise, not for ours. And so when you freshly go into that closet of yours and you're choosing your garb, there is a time you need to wear that power tie and you need to let the devils know where you stand. There's another time when you need to wear that sweater vest and you need the rest, the calm, that grace of God that enfolds you as peace in the midst of a storm. Winston Churchill continues the story. Such a fuss had been made by the press that telegrams of relief and congratulation flowed in from all over the allied world. The warmest were from my American friends at the White House. I had sent congratulations to the president, that's Franklin Roosevelt, on his 60th birthday. And this is how Franklin Roosevelt responded. It is fun, he cabled, to be in the same decade with you. You know, we have moments that go both ways, don't we? I mean, if you got a telegram from Franklin Delano Roosevelt that said something like that, you know, it might offset some of the, the challenge you've been facing. God knows what we need. Just like he makes us lie down in green pastures and he restores our soul, he will allow us to walk through days of even public infamy. We're like, God, how could you allow this? But he knows precisely what we need. He knows the encouragement we need. He knows how to stabilize us in these moments. He knows how to undergird us with grace. And then every now and again, we get that word from the king in the moment we most need it that reminds us that we have value in the kingdom of heaven. It's uh, very significant for all of us. It is fun, he cabled, to be in the same decade with you. Hudson Taylor, uh, you know, my oldest, Hudson, who's in the back right now, was named after Hudson Taylor. I have a very high regard for this man, and yet many of us know the outcomes of his life, just like Winston Churchill. We know that he's considered one of the greatest men in all of history, right? Hudson Taylor, one of the greatest missionaries in all of history. We just have a nice summary, but we fail to recognize the moments of difficulty that they walk through. And it's when you go in and zoom in, or uh, what, as we do it on our iPhone, as we what do you call that where you, you know, with your fingers, you make this, the picture larger. As you zoom in, you actually see pain. You see difficulty. You see trials. Hudson Taylor is going to go over to China. And from the outside looking in, he just looks like a young buck who has a young faith, who is a little over eager. And so the businessman back home, he has nothing Hudson Taylor has nothing. The missionary societies supposed to support him aren't sending him the money. And they're justifying it saying, well, I think you'll be fine on what you have. So this guy is living in, you know, a cardboard box would be the equivalent of it. And he's trying to survive over there. He's making appeals back home. And he, it's embarrassing is what I'm going to say. I mean, I felt the Hudson Taylor thing. It's sort of like, well, if you have financial crisis, it's your fault. And, you know, your whole missionary mindset, you know, you had to, to think more like a businessman. Don't give all your money away, Hudson. And so the, what you see is the struggling missionary out of money in desperate straits. Most of us don't, when we think of Hudson Taylor, think of that. We don't think of someone that could actually have Job's friends come around and say, excuse me, but he had Job's friends. Let me introduce you to them. They're the British businessmen. 
The British businessmen, with all their money, you know, I always think of Scrooge McDuck, uh, sitting on their piles of gold coins, are looking across uh, towards uh, Hudson Taylor and his issues. And so they have a few words to give him. Not money, words. If you were better with your resources, Sonny, then you wouldn't be in such circumstances. It sounds so true, doesn't it? If he was just more wise, if he budgeted his low income as a missionary, he, of course, wouldn't be in these circumstances. That's spoken by someone who's never been a missionary. Because you know that it isn't true that if you're going through a low circumstance, that it's because of your stupidity? Whoever came up with that rule? Did you know that God purposely will allow us to walk through difficulty because he loves us? And that he will allow us to not have something in our bank account for a season because he wants us to grow stronger in faith? God, you wouldn't do that to us. God loves us. He knows what we need to grow. The businessman doesn't. The businessman, his entire focus is just to have the gold coins and the stability. He doesn't want to have faith. But the missionary requires faith. And God knows that. And so as a result, if you're going to be frontlines Christianity, don't consider it strange, my brethren, when you face trials of many kinds. Don't consider it a surprise when your bank account runs dry. Don't consider it odd when Job's friends surround you and start telling you how you could have done this better. It goes with the territory. So rejoice or Go into your closet, your spiritual closet, and there's this really nice-looking sweater vest. It's funny because sweater vests, you know, in my mind, I just think about everyone clucking their tongue and going, oh, that's very stylish, Eric. And that, that fits it. That really does. When we put on Jesus Christ and we wear what the world looks at as corny, doofish, you know, our sweater vest with our tie. And, you know, it might not look good to the world, but it feels nice. It feels nice. You see, that calm of soul, that rest of soul is very critical for us. So there's a third option that I want to introduce you to, and that is a character named George Mueller in this story. Most people don't know this, but George Mueller, who lived by faith, any of you have ever studied George Mueller, he had like a thousand orphans, and he's living by faith, never asking for money, but God supernaturally supplying. George Mueller, you know, one of his number one passions was to support people like himself. So he supported missionaries more than almost any church in England. George Mueller did. A missionary did. So this is going to change Hudson Taylor's life because he's getting all these criticisms from the businessmen, from Job's friends. And what Job needs is George Mueller. Job needs George. I want us all to be Georges. That's the inspiration I want us to take out. I want us to handle our crisis with a sweater vest But I want us to recognize that there's a lot of people, a lot of leaders in a challenging situation right now, political ones, that it's very easy for us to criticize, spiritual ones, that it's very easy for us to criticize because they're not doing things the way we think they should. And so as a result, instead of helping them, we criticize them. And that's where I want us to be extremely watchful, and I want us to pull a George Mueller. So George Mueller is going to write a letter to Hudson Taylor. And this letter is probably out of Hudson Taylor's life, one of the most prized, if not the most prized thing he will ever receive. Because George Mueller is basically going to say, I know exactly what you're going through. And I'm, I think what you're doing is amazing. And how you're doing it is wonderful, Sonny. And by the way, since what you need right now is practical, not just a spiritual encouragement, here's some money. 
George Mueller is going to supply Hudson Taylor a foundation of money to grow. In his weakest moment, it's another missionary that comes in to wash the feet of Hudson Taylor. There's something about that that touches me because I've seen that. Oftentimes when, when you're in ministry, you look around and you see all the people with a lot of money. And we're, we're famous as, as ministers of the gospel of going to them and going, yeah, you know, so here's what we're doing and try, try and sell the vision. When in actuality, the people that actually know the vision best usually don't have a lot of money. <laughs> but they're the others that are radically giving themselves to Jesus Christ. I'm not trying to criticize a, a businessman because businessmen support the gospel all the time. I'm just saying that those that live by faith understand the dynamic of living by faith. So George Mueller, the seasoned frontlines veteran that sends an encouraging note and a little something extra. So Franklin Roosevelt's uh, cable to Winston Churchill in January of 1942, it is fun to be in the same decade with you. Here's what I want you to think about doing today. Cabling someone. I know we don't cable, but speaking to someone today that maybe is searching for a sweater vest right now and hasn't quite gotten it on. <laughs> they're still in their power tie and they don't, they're not exactly sure. They're, they're feeling unstable right now. Go out of your way to encourage them. That would be one of the things I would like you to do is pull a Franklin Roosevelt, pull a George Mueller in this difficult moment in leadership uh, today. And so that's what I'm going to do. Uh, look at, this is Eric Ludy uh, talking. Now what I did is I picked a very short list, because there's a lot of you that could get offended because you're not on the list. Uh, and, you know, I'm sorry about that. Uh, I have a lot of people. I didn't even include my campus staff or my previous staff that I've had. But I figured this would be at least, a, it's like having a small wedding. No matter, you know, if you invite just a few people, then there's always going to be the people, hey, I'm, I should have been on the bubble there to be invited. You know, that's, it's, the, it's the politics of doing this. Uh, <clears throat> Eric Ludi is going to cable a few people right now via Daily Thunder. Leslie Ludi. It's fun to be in the same decade with you. That's, that's an understatement. Nathan Johnson. Nathan, do you hear this, bud? It's fun to be in the same decade with you. Philip Hartman. It's fun to be in the same decade with you. Dan Sandy and Grace McConaughey. It's fun to be in the same decade with you. Sarah Guthrie. It's fun to be in the same decade with you. Annie Weshey. It's fun to be in the same decade with you. Now, that list could go on and on and on, and we'd start to dole over <laughs> as it continues. But that's what I want us to consider doing today. In other words, there's a lot of storm out there right now. There's a lot of insecurity out there right now. There's a lot of spiritual attack. And because the church has not been united, the devil's picking off people right now. Because we don't have the closeness and the fellowship, which oftentimes breeds a greater strength spiritually. I want us to remember that right now. We're in a sense, there's a lot of people in a Winston Churchill type of situation where the devil is condemning them, he's indicting them for all their flaws, and there's like a vote of confidence. I don't even think you deserve to be a Christian. In other words, this is where we need to come in with the clear encouragement that we as Christians can bring. It's the vote of confidence in the positive way. And let's remind them of the power of the shed blood, the mercy of Jesus Christ, Let's remind them that we are happy to share this generation with them. The sweater vest. Check your closet. It's there. Just waiting to bring you a bit of calm amidst the storm. Father, thank you that you have supplied us with that calm in the midst of attack and crisis and trauma. Thank you that you have supplied us everything we need 
to navigate through the most harrowing, the most difficult of circumstances in a way that models you and showcases the peace of heaven. Lord, I pray that we, those of us that are witnessing this message up close and personal, would rise up today and rejoice. Rejoice in our God for your good. We are not surprised at difficulty, Lord. Instead, we want to leverage it unto greater strength. It's in the precious name we pray. Amen. Daily Thunder is a listener-supported production of Ellerslie Discipleship Training. At Ellerslie, we are laboring to rouse the Church of Jesus Christ out of its lethargy and build brave-hearted Christians for such a time as this. Daily Thunder is delivered live and streamed daily Monday through Friday at 8.15 a.m. And our weekend service is streamed at 9 a.m. on Sunday mornings. Join us at live.ellerslie.com. We invite you to visit us at the beautiful Ellerslie campus in Windsor, Colorado for a day, a week, or an entire season of gospel-centered spiritual training. Learn more at ellerslie.com. Thanks for listening.